Hey, Grace Souls, did you know that we're taking a field trip this fall? Did you know about that? Did you hear about that, the field trip that we're going on? Not every church takes field trips, but this church takes field trips. You got to get on a plane, go across the other side of the world to Israel. You can experience Israel with us this fall. Is that, I don't know, does anybody get fired up about going into the Holy Land? I love on the inside, by the way, this is available in the back if you want to check it out, but I love how it says, uh, read your Bible with firsthand experience. I can read. Uh, it's there. If you go to Israel, you can read your Bible anew, like with firsthand experience. The way I describe it is kind of like the Bible becomes, well, you know how kids have, well, maybe you have one too, and you're not a kid because you like me and you like these. Uh, a pop-up book. You know the children's books that have pop-up books and you open and they pop up? I see a couple of you nodding going, yeah. yeah. Well, when I got to go to Israel when I was in seminary, uh, the way I described it, as I describe it today, uh, not only does the Bible become a first-hand experience, but it becomes like a pop-up book. L- let me give you an example. When I was in Israel, I remember this one particular day we're out walking and we're on this journey and kind of this open field meadow. It's pouring down rain, crazy rain coming down. Showers of blessings, I guess. And as we're walking, all of a sudden I start to realize my feet are feeling super heavy. And I thought, what is going on? I look down at my feet and I see that they are just caked with clay about that thick. And they're getting super heavy. And as I'm walking, all of a sudden, I believe it's God, speaks to me and says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He kind of heard my cry. He said, feet out of the miry pit, out of the miry clay. Oh, yeah. Set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps. I get it now. I get when David was writing Psalm 40, the Bible at that moment became like a pop-up book. I got it. I got what he was saying because I was living it right there. And that's what a trip to Israel will do for you coming up in November 18th through the 29th. And as we look at our final verses today in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going through this series knowing the truth about Jesus, Luke takes us inside that room where the risen Savior, where the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples. And then Luke's going to take us outside of that room to where Jesus ascends back to heaven. And as we'll see, what I like to think of it is at that moment in this story we're going to look at today, it's when the Bible becomes like a pop-up book. It's when, if you will, the Bible verses that you'd read before, you now get a firsthand experience. You're like, oh, I get it now. That's what's unfolding in our story uh, today. It's going to pop up for them, and then it's going to lead them to pop out. And we'll look at that this morning and what that looks like. Well, if you were to look at the theme and sum up the book of Luke, uh, it basically would be a historical account of the life of Jesus Christ, the universal savior of mankind or the universal savior of the world. If you were to take a sign and put it on a building in downtown Los Angeles like 100 years ago at the Church of the Open Door, it would be a sign that simply says, Jesus saves. It would be something like that that you could see and go, what would you sum up the gospel of Luke to be? Imagine a sign that says, Jesus saves. If that's what you wanted to wrap it up in, it's a historical account that Jesus came to save people. And that's what I would sum up this book uh, to be. 
And I think if we were to look at the passage today, you go, well, what's a sign that you could put over the text we're going to look at today? It's that Jesus saves. It's that Jesus is going to empower us to go out and save people, to lead them to salvation. And so the thing that we're going to look at today, one of the important ingredients, if you will, characteristics of being effective in sharing the gospel and, and letting people know that Jesus saves is the role that the Holy Spirit, God's presence, plays within us. And so our text today will serve as a springboard, if you will, a catalyst to launch us into understanding the way the Holy Spirit must work, must play, and proclaim the truth about Jesus. So if you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I've got some notes uh, prepared for you in your bulletin if you want to use those. I think they make my message a whole lot better to listen to if you have those. So uh, uh, Luke 24, we're going to look at verses 36 to 49 first, where Jesus appears to his disciples. So hopefully you're turning there, Luke 24. And if you're taking notes, I kind of made some observations. These aren't going to be up on the screen or anything. They're just observations. I kind of I like, like, like buckets, just like kind of drop them in there, and that's what this section is about. So here, here they are. There's four observations. In that gathering place, Jesus brought comfort through peace. If you look, look at verses 36 to 38. Let's just read these few verses, and then we'll work our way through the rest of them. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? If you look at verse 36, it says, it says, as they were talking, well, that got me thinking, well, who's they? Who's the they that, that's talking right here, right? Who, who is this that's having this conversation or giving some instruction? Well, if you got your Bible open, you can go back up to where we were last week, to Luke 24. Look at verses 33 to 35. This will tell us. It's Cleopas and his companion. Remember, they were on the road to Emmaus? And here's what they did. They said that they arose, Luke records, and at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so when we read verse 36, what does it say here? It says that he was, they were proclaiming or they were telling about these things, talking about these things that they'd just seen the risen Christ. So here they are, they're in the midst of that, telling the rest of these guys that are there. John's account informs us that uh, he says, peace to you, not once, but twice. Luke just records it once, but in John's account, his perspective, his lens looking through this uh, series of Jesus coming back, he says, peace to you. Peace is who God is. There is no peace without God. God is the one who brings peace. That's a nature, it's a characteristic, a quality of who he is. And so as I look at this in verse 37, and we see them, what does it say? That they're startled and frightened. Well, you know what? Uh, I might be too, because <laughs> uh, this is kind of an unusual circumstance, unusual situation. But culturally, at this time, it was popular to believe in disembodied spirits, it was popular to believe that. So they're holding what was common. And so here's this reaction to them. And so as we see this reaction, 
in my mind, it's kind of understandable, almost expected, kind of predictable, because culturally, this was the norm to believe in disembodied spirits, to believe in ghosts. And so while Jesus told them he had rise from the dead, they remained somewhat uncertain. In fact, it says here that they are startled and frightened Freaked out would be a way that a teenager might throw it in. Dude, it was freaked. <laughs> they were freaked out at this moment. As I thought about this, kind of give a visual to what this might be like. As I was working through this message, I went back about 10 years ago to my daughter was about two years old. I was a youth pastor at that time, and I had this event called Alien Visitors Night. It was so much fun uh, having uh, that as a theme, as outreach to help kids understand that, hey, we're just visiting this planet. It's not our ultimate home. Heaven is. And so I had this amazing costume, and I thought I could try and explain it to you what it looked like. And then I was talking to my wife. I said, do you think it's better just to visualize it? And she said, yes. So I went up in the attic and grabbed my um, little uh, alien here. So I was wearing this. I put this on because I was testing for the night for Alien Visitors Night for junior high ministry. And I was like, oh, this is going to work. This is going to be great. My daughter, who's two, comes down the hallway and sees this. Oh, yeah. Now you get what I'm going with this, right? At that moment, I had never seen her terror, the terror on her face, the frightened, freaked out, just like, and she takes off, mommy, 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 and takes off running. And I'm feeling rather whatever word you want to describe at that moment. I'm just not feeling good at this moment. She reminded me as, I, as we rehearsed that memory, and we kind of teased my daughter last night a little bit about this. My wife told me, she's like, yeah, she slept on my chest that night. Do you remember that? That's how scared she was. So as a visual like that, I want to sense that that's the kind of freaked out moment when it says that they are startled and frightened. It's that kind of setting here for these disciples. It's almost like they didn't hear Jesus say, peace to you. Not once, but twice. Again, that's who God is. And in compassion and grace, here's another observation I took from this passage. In that gathering place, Jesus brought assurance through his appearance. He brought assurance to them that it's not a ghost. It's actually him through his appearance. Look at verse 39 to 43. See my hands, he says to them, and my feet. That is, I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling or in amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you die and go to the cross and raise from the dead. You get hungry. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. As I said, in this gathering place, when I look at this, is just kind of to put this in a bucket, if you will. He's bringing assurance through his appearance. Because they're uncertain. What is it we just saw? What's just going on here? You guys just came and told us what you had seen. And did, did he just... He did just appear, right? And they're processing this. They're kind of freaking this out. And Jesus, as I look at this, it's like he is aiming and firing right at their doubts. Because they're uncertain. They're unsure that he's really here and appearing in bodily form. 
And as I looked at this, I see three proofs that he gives. In verse 36, it says that Jesus himself stood among them. Not to get all Greek, but if I, I look that up and go, what does it mean to stand? And it says to take a place, uh, to, to, to assume a place or to occupy a space. There's the word, occupy a space. In other words, it's like if there's a seat, it's like that one's taken by Jesus. He's physically present here. The next one, it says, he says in verse 39, touch me. In other words, see that I am real. Reach out, touch, feel. Not only is it a visual, but it's something that you can actually grab hold of. And then in verse 43, it says that he ate before them. So he's laying out proofs immediately. It's just an apologetic for the resurrection, bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead. How do the disciples respond? We'll look at verse 41. It says here that they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. They were amazed. Pastor Matt and I were chatting about the, this passage this week, and we kind of thought of it, or he brought it up to my mind. He goes, that was like it, what it was as a Chicago Cubs fan when the Cubs won the World Series a few years ago. Everyone in the stadium, because it's been, what, over a century or whatever it was since they, since they had last won the World Series, and it's that look of joy, right, and excitement and thrill, but it's like, is this, is this really happening? Did we finally break the curse and we're actually winning? Did this really just happen? And that's, I sense this idea of, is this really going on? And Jesus saying, hey, I'm bringing assurance through my appearance. Another observation that stuck out to me now that he has their attention in that gathering place is Jesus brought understanding through scripture. He goes to the word of God. Look at verse 44 to 48. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, he's focusing on the scriptures that's focused about him, that told about him, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's all the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You guys, you are my witnesses of these things. So remember the Bible study that we looked at last week when Cleopas and his friend were on the way to Jerusalem. And Jesus opened the scriptures to them and told them and walked them through all the passages about him. Well, here it is happening again. In verse 44, Jesus reminds us that what the law said about him, what the prophets said, what the Psalms said, the whole council of scripture said in the Old Testament, he's going through that to, with them. So guess what? <laughs> the one is, it happened. It actually came to pass. It's true. Just as scripture said it would, Jesus, as Jesus, the word Came alive, and here he is. They're there to see him. And then, did you see the Bible study here? As I mentioned in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So, you remember, as I began this message, I mentioned that we're going to where in November? Israel. And that you can read the Bible with a first hand experience, or in my explanation, it's when the Bible becomes like a pop up book. Do you see this now? Verse 45, they, he opened their mind. It's just like, 
ah, like it was for me with Psalm 4. I get, oh, I, I get it now. These aren't just words that I had heard about or read about or been taught. I'm actually realizing it now in a whole new way. It's come alive. It's popped up. And they get it now in a whole new dimension. And I love that. And so now that the scripture has popped up in a new way, what we see here is that they're going to pop out from this room, from Jerusalem, or in Jerusalem, and then further on, to proclaim what? To proclaim about this risen Savior. But before they can leave and proclaim that they have seen the risen Christ, and he saves and forgives sinners, this is another observation. Jesus brought instruction through a promise. Look at verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city, here's the instruction, until you are clothed with power from on high. So as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, this begs the question, what's the promise? (laughs) Behold, I'm sending the promise. Well, what promise? What is he talking about? Well, remember, he's just been going through them, opening the scriptures. He's gone through Moses and and the prophets and, and the Psalms. So he's covered the whole council of the Old Testament, like verses like Isaiah 32, 15. Or Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, or Joel 2, 28 to 32, that prophesy about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, these are the promises. Remember I told you about that my father's going to give to you? These are going to come to pass now. But here's my instruction. Stay there. We go in further into Acts 1-8. Luke continues on with this story. And we read that Jesus said, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. As I said earlier, to be effective in proclaiming the truth about Jesus, we have to have the Holy Spirit. This is what he is telling them. He's what he's telling us today. We have to have the power. We have to have God's presence within us. And this is the verse that serves as a springboard, as a catalyst for what we're going to look at the remainder of our time today and proclaim the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is necessary. It's so vital that Jesus instruct them, stay here until it comes. So with his resurrection and reality through his presence and a fact through the physical truth of touching him and a proof as they're able to see this through the fish that he eats, now we move on to the next part of this story. Just four verses. It's the ascension as Luke wraps it up here. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Luke wraps up his story, his narrative, his his account of what happened here. And so as I look at this, is that this gathering place, Jesus brought joy through the truth of what he had shared with them. It mentions that they went to Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. It's on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. You go to Israel, you get to see it there. It's where Jesus is gonna ascend. It's also where Jesus is gonna come back. So it's a very important place. And this blessing that Jesus gives them is only provides closure to this gospel of Luke, but it's also is the opening. It's the looking forward to what these guys are gonna do, their mission to go out. In Acts 3, we read that Jesus remained for 40 days 
with them. So, John, so Luke's is more just a quick summary, and it's like he has more to say, which he does in the whole book of Acts, which is where Acts 3, 1, 3 mentions that. And as I was looking at this passage where it talked about worship to him and, and with great joy and continually in the temple and the blessings of God, and they were experiencing that, I was thinking, you know what? That's interesting. Yeah, I think so. Every service I've ever been in here on a Sunday morning, whether it's this service or the next service, there's worship music that's involved with it. And we wrap up the service with worship music. So here they are worshiping and praising God with joy. I love that when I hear you singing on Sunday mornings. I think Mark and Allegra do as they lead us week in and week out. So that's what's unfolding here, just like they're talking about in verse 52. And what's also interesting at the end here, it says that they were in the temple. That's where Luke's gospel ends it. Guess where they were when he began his gospel? You're right. You guessed it right. You could have just yelled it out. In the temple. His gospel begins in the temple and it ends in the temple. The bookends are in the temple. It's a place where they're going to worship God. It's where it begins. It's where it ends. As I thought about that, it's a central gathering place like 24521 Molten Parkway (laughs) is for us. That central place where we go, our temple, if you will. We're the temple because the Holy Spirit's in us when we receive Christ. But this is our gathering place. It was the gathering place for them and for each of us week in and week out. So there's Luke's gospel. It's been a great journey to go through this. You know, there were, this is message number 77 of the whole account that Pastor Mike started on, uh, what was it, January 8th, 2017. So we've been in this gospel for a while, and there you have it. So, so now what? How do we end this series? Because when Pastor Mike mentioned that he was going to be gone, he's like, I'd like you to wrap up this series. I'm like, oh, man, how do we wrap this up? How do we bring a closure to this? Where does it end? Well, it ends where the disciples left off. It's the journey we're on and a part of. It's the mission. It's the great commission. It's that opportunity that we have to proclaim the truth about Jesus. If you're to sum it up in a billboard or a sign outside a building, it's that Jesus saves But to do this, we're going to need the Holy Spirit. And so since Christ is risen and has given us the Holy Spirit, we have to do something extra with the Holy Spirit. We must seek to be filled with the Spirit. We must seek to be filled with the Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, came 2,000 years ago, day of Pentecost. Acts 1.8 talks about that, that it's going to come. And when you became a Christian, God, the Holy Spirit, came in you. And the disciples used the Holy Spirit powerfully to be his witnesses, and they proclaimed Christ, not in their own power, but in his power. However, having the Holy Spirit inside you and asking God or being filled with the Spirit isn't necessarily the same thing. You think, well, what do you mean by that? Well, for me to help me get it, let me use a visual for you. So let's say this represents your life before you accepted Christ. And when you accepted Christ, if I can do this successfully like my kids can, what happens? The moment you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. Now you have the Holy Spirit in you, right? And that remains in you for the rest of your life. But here's what's unique about a balloon. You both know what else could be done to it, right? 
You can make it expand. You can add more to it. You can ask to be filled more and more with the Holy Spirit so that not only do you have the Holy Spirit, God's presence within you, but you can actually have more of the Spirit come upon you. Again and again. And you're thinking, really, is this what we're talking about today? Is is this that thing I've heard about baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, that's not biblical. That's not what we're talking about. When you receive Christ, you receive the Spirit. But what Scripture does teach us is that we can be filled with the Spirit. In other words, this can be a new and additional filling of God's presence and God's power that can work through you. It's seen in the disciples in Acts 2.4. It's seen with Peter in Acts 4.8. It's seen with Stephen who goes, Lord, I need more of a presence of your power in me. And he gets that in Acts 7.55. In other words, seeking to be filled with the Spirit can occur over and over and over again throughout the time as you live your life as a Christian. And so if we as a church desire to actually really go out and be uh, someone who powerfully proclaims God, I know this is kind of the weird part here, but it is what it is, uh, to proclaim Christ to those in our oikos as we use here, to proclaim Christ to those with our five, five, five people we're playing four or five minutes a day, to whoever you work with, to whoever your neighbor is. If we're actually going to go out and proclaim Christ, we see it in his instruction to these disciples that you're going to need the Holy Spirit. Well, God instructs us that we need to be filled with the Spirit. Why must we do this? Why must we seek to be filled with the Spirit? Let me give you two reasons. One, it's necessary for effective evangelism. It's necessary for effective evangelism. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit and you can have that and go out and share Christ with others. But to be most effective, as we see these examples in the Acts and places like that, it's a filling of the Spirit that empowers them to be more effective in doing this. So when you look at verse 49, back in Luke 24, it says, And behold, I am sending to you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. The Holy Spirit they had yet to receive, but when they received it, they were empowered to go out and proclaim Christ. It's as though they had no air in the balloon, and now they have it, and now they can do it. And while we as believers have that Holy Spirit within us, God's presence, we should be seeking to be filled again and again. And you're going, well, why? Well, it's necessary for effective evangelism. Let me give you a second reason. Because it's a commandment. That's the heart of this. It's a commandment. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, there is a distinction between the person who has the Holy Spirit and a person who's actually filled with the Spirit. That's like, man, you can see God is working through them. Think of it like this. A number of years ago, I was at the Coliseum. I was watching a football game. This guy next to us was drunk. And there's so much to the story I would love to tell you because it's just crazy what unfolded. But at the end of the day, the LAPD shows up, and I remember they asked one question, which guy is it? And to my amazement, it wasn't just me who knew it was him who was drunk. There's about 20 people that go, that guy. My point is this. Everybody who was there and is part of that situation, knew, oh, it's that guy. That's the guy who's inebriated. In the same way as believers, we should be able to look at other believers and go, oh, man, look at them. 
They are filled with the Spirit. They are asking God to empower them so that they are dependent upon God. And any success, any gain that they have leading someone to Jesus, they go, who was that ultimately doing that? It was God. It wasn't me. It was God working through me, empowering me to fulfill what God had called me to do, this great commission. Oh, yeah, that's interesting to think about this, too, about this verse. To get all Greek on us for a moment about being filled with the Spirit, that's a present tense, which means it's an ongoing action. It's also an imperative, which means it's a verbal command. It's also a passive verb, which means you're not the one who's doing the filling of the Spirit. It is God who is doing that. And when you look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, it says, go into all the world and make disciples, present tense, as you're going. Imperative, verbal commands, as though Jesus is saying it to you verbally. In other words, as you're going, God's the one who does the work through you. As you're continually going, as you're continually seeking to be filled with the Spirit, that's where you're going to have and be most encouraged and most effective in proclaiming the truth about Christ. So what's required to be Spirit-filled? Think that's a fair question to ask? You say, yes, Bill, go ahead, let's keep moving. What's required to be filled with the Spirit? Let me give you three habits you've got to have. One, you must confess and repent of your sins. Now, when you received Christ, you were forgiven of all your sins by the blood of Christ on the cross. So as Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation in you. But as you and I both know, or maybe it's me who knows, I can go through my life as a Christian and sin at times, and that hinders or breaks my fellowship with God, not my relationship but it can hinder or break my fellowship. In other words, think of it as being on good terms. And it was me who caused the issue. That's why Proverbs 28, 13 says, you won't prosper if you fail to confess your sins. It's gonna be really difficult to lead someone to Christ if you're continually sinning, right? Or living a life of sin in front of them. You're going, well, what's different about you than me? 1 John 1, 9 says, when you confess your sins, God will forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. So if you wanna be effective, if you want to be able to proclaim Christ with confidence and do it boldly, you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit, and it's going to involve the habit of confessing and repenting of your sins. Here's a second habit. You must obey God's word. There's obedience lived out here. You've got to obey God's word. Psalms 1 through 3 says you'll be blessed by God when you obey his word. He uses the analogy of a tree planted by a stream of water or a river. So it has what it needs, and it bears fruit. People go, oh, look, that's a healthy-looking tree. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. I love it. It's so black and white. Hey, if you love me, then do this, right? So if you desire to be spirit-filled, you must practice the habit of obeying God's word. And the last habit is this. You must live by faith. We must live by faith. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Galatians 5.16 instructs us to walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you desire to be a person who is living a Spirit-filled life, you're gonna have to practice living by faith. So as we've looked at this, 
we see why we should be filled with the Spirit. It's a commandment if we want to be effective in sharing and proclaiming Christ, which is what God's mission is for these guys. It's the same mission for us. So why don't I give this to you as the way I presented it to you? Why did I spend all this time and attention of being filled with the Spirit? To which I would say, man, that is a great question. You guys are so smart. I love the questions you ask because it makes my teaching a lot easier to do. I love that. And I would say it this way. I like the way to explain it in sharing Christ with others by what's called a three-story approach. It's a strategy that I have found that works best. It's a strategy that I actually discovered I was using and didn't know it. (laughs) And you've used it too. Let me put it to you this way. Why must you do this? We've looked at that. What's required? We've looked at it. So when you're spirit-filled, that is when you're ready to proclaim Christ because you're going back to God and you're being dependent upon God. And there's three requests that you want to make in three stories. There's their story, there's your story, and there's God's story. That's the three-story approach. So what you're doing is you're coming back going, God, I want to be spirit-filled. We looked at why that's necessary. We looked at what's required. Now I'm ready, the most effective I can be to proclaim the gospel. I'm dependent upon God. I want to ask him for something. The first request I'm going to ask him for is, God, give me discernment as you listen to their story. God, give discernment as you listen to their story. In other words, you're allowing them to just share and you get to know them by listening to them. James 1.19 says that we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Have you found in your friendships that listening helped that friendship out instead of you talking all the time? You know that's to be true, right? It builds trust when you're willing to listen to somebody. Galatians 5, and 23 it brings out the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? The fruits of the Spirit. I thought about that. I thought, man, listening is loving. It's a way to show that you love that person because you want to listen to what they have to say. Also, I thought of it as, as a listening requires patience, doesn't it? Just to, as the preschool teacher to my daughter taught, zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. It's hard to do that at times. It involves patience. I need the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Spirit to keep that going. Listening is a way of showing kindness. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Spirit to remain self-controlled, just to listen to them. There's a saying I go by that says this. Maybe you've heard it before. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's truth to this. So when you're spirit-filled, you're ready to proclaim Christ by asking God, give me discernment as I listen to their story. The first step, I'm just trying to build a friendship with them. The second step is this. When you're ready to proclaim Christ, Christ by asking for direction as you share your story. In other words, you've been listening to what they've shared, and now you're trying to go, well, man, what do I share to them that relates to them, that connects with them, that builds a relationship with them? that can work and enhance this relationship. If you were to look at Acts 26 and read that whole chapter, that's the story of Paul's testimony. The Apostle Paul just lays it all out there. It's his story. 
He shares that story as he's directed by the Holy Spirit based upon who his audience is that's listening to him. He's listened to them. Now he's sharing, in essence, what we would call his testimony about his life before Christ, how he came to know Christ, and his life since. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, Paul said, he became all things to all people so that by all means possible, he might save some. He's going, man, God, give me discernment. Give me direction here. Give me direction as I share my story. In other words, what you share with one particular person about your story and your journey to coming to know Christ might be different from that person that you would share it with because you can connect with them on this level or connect with them in this way. The same is true here in our walk with Jesus for each of us. And so that's why we're asking God for direction. We're saying, God, I want to be led by your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Renew that in me so I can have this as I give direction in sharing my story. And as you've done that, you've asked for discernment, for listening to their story, you've gotten direction from God as you share your story. Now you're ready to proclaim the greatest story. You're praying now and asking God for an open door as you proclaim God's story. You're sitting there going, man, I want to now proclaim God's story. Once you've listened and done that, you're ready to proclaim the greatest story. I put it in your notes, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that, right? I like to think of that as the greatest promise there is that you could share with somebody. And to break it down verse, in sections of the verse like this, for God, friend, that's the greatest good. So loved. That's the greatest action that anyone's ever done. For God so loved the world. That's the place with the greatest need. I've heard your story. You have needs. I had needs. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's the greatest example of generosity. Who gives their son? His only son. Oh, that's the greatest sacrifice. No one's made a greater sacrifice for you than God himself through his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, that's the greatest response. Do you want to respond? That's the greatest response you could give. So you will not perish because that's the greatest whore, to be separated from God for eternity, but have eternal life. That is the greatest gift you could give to somebody because that's the greatest promise. That's proclaiming God's story. You're praying for an open door to share that story. Let me summarize it with my own story. Do you remember last week I was telling you about my friend Jimmer, the 10 and 2 on the steering wheel driving through the fog on our way to Mammoth, part of our college ministry trip to go there? We did every year. Let me back it up a little bit for you. I'm working out of high school, first job, part shop, Huntington Beach, Porsche Restoration Part Shop. I pack parts. I ship out parts. I go pick up parts. I sweep the shop floor. I clean the toilet on Fridays. I go get lunch for the boss when he wants me to get. That's basically my job. A few months later, this guy walks in. His name is Jim Ansight. And my boss says, hey, there's a guy here, Jim. He's going to be working here too. I'm like, great. He can go get the parts. He can sweep the shop. He can clean the bathroom. He can go get Bill lunch. That's the owner. 
This would be great. Until I learned, oh, Jimmer's got skills. He knows what he's doing with these cars that I have no clue what to do with. And what happened was, is our boss said, hey, Bill, here's what I'd like you to do. When you finish the work I need you to do, I want you to go work with Jim. Okay. And learn from him and start working on these cars. We have work to get done in this restoration. Okay. All right. So I start working with him. Guess what happens? I start hearing his story. Just about the journey of life he's been on. And then I would come in on Monday and he'd go, What'd you do over the weekend? Well, my story was, well, I was involved in a church and a college ministry. We had college Bible study on Friday night. I had Sunday stuff going on as well. We had Sunday night stuff. We had trips that we went to Mammoth on. We had trips where we went to Mexico to build a home. We had uh, serving in convalescent homes. We were serving at the downtown rescue mission. We had all kinds of activities and things that we did that were a lot of fun. That's my story. And then the day comes months later where he goes, what'd you do this weekend and tell him? And he goes, could I come sometime? Wait, what? Could I, could I maybe come to your Bible study? Oh, I didn't know that's what you were, oh. You see, as in this moment, <laughs> as this begins to unfold, guess where I'm going? I'm going to God in prayer. God, give me discernment, direction, an open door to proclaim the greatest promise to my friend. He started coming to church, and months later, he came to know the Lord as his personal Savior, and he's been walking with him since then. But what's interesting with that, too, Here's where it started from. Go help that guy in the shop do some work on that car. Well, on June 1st, 1996, when I got married, he stood beside me as my best man. I could have never seen what God was working and giving me an opportunity to share the gospel with. And friends, you've got the year ahead of you with maybe somebody that God's going to bring into your life. And it's going to start where you're just listening to their story and you're going to start sharing your story and you're praying for an open door to share God's story, that they would come to know Jesus as well. Because that's what the business is that God's about. That's what he was telling those disciples to do. It's what he's telling and giving you the opportunity as you pray to receive God as your Savior and then ask to be filled with the Spirit over and over again that you might proclaim with power and boldness and with joy that Jesus saves God, I pray that you would help us to come back to you regularly, asking, praying, begging for you to fill us with your spirit so that, God, we might proclaim your, your truth, your message, and the power of your spirit, and that those that hear it, Lord, that you would allow us to be your messengers and that people might come to know you as their Savior. We'd see that happen in our own lives. We'd see it happen in this church. God, we pray that you would do this as we depend on you. And in doing so, God, you're the one who gets all the glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.